So Judges chapter 7 opens with, Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. So chapter 7 starts right in the middle of a story that it's telling. So it's reminding us of Gideon's name, and we learned how he got that last week. So Gideon is this guy that God comes to and, and makes him a deliverer for the Israelites. What the pattern is in Judges is you have the Israelites, they're God's people, God has got a plan for them, God's got promise for them, God's got a land for them, and Israel continuously hits this cycle where they will sin and they will choose instead to follow other gods and do the things that the other gods want them to do and to look like the neighboring communities that are pagan communities, Canaanite communities. And as they do that, they sin and God says, okay, fine, enjoy your sin. And they end up being dominated by these groups. And so as they're being oppressed, as they're being dominated by these groups, they will cry out at some point for a deliverer. Sometimes it takes a few years. Sometimes it, take, sometimes it takes a generation or two. They'll finally cry out to God who will always faithfully deliver them. And so Gideon is the guy that God chooses to use to deliver his people. So he comes to Gideon. And he says to Gideon, okay, first off, the first thing that I'm going to have you do as my deliverers, you got to clean up stuff at your house first. Before I'm going to have you clean up the nation, you're going to go home and you're going to clean up your house. So you're going to go to your dad's place, who he has an altar to Baal, one of the Canaanite gods. He becomes quite a thorn in the Israelite side. And so God tells him, go there, destroy the altar. You're going to create a new altar for me and you're going to sacrifice to me there. So Gideon goes home, does what God tells him to do rips down the altar of Baal, erects a new altar, worships God there. And the following morning, the community did not appreciate that. So they get together and they said, hey, someone has defiled, offended, sinned against our God. Well, he needs to be punished for that. So they go to Gideon's dad and, he's, and they say, hey, give us your son Gideon. We know what he did. And Gideon's dad goes, you know, if Baal is who you say he is, if he's strong, if he's powerful, if he's able to control the weather, if he's God, if he's a God, why don't you have him deal with Gideon? And they go, that, that makes sense. And so he gets a name, Jerubbabel, which is let Baal contend with him. Isn't that such a rad name for him to be known around his community? Like he, as people see him, they go, oh, that's Jerubbabel. He's known as that dude contends with the enemy. That guy fights with gods. Like, that's the name that he has, that he's known for. He's earned it in his community. He's a contender against Baal. And in the story of Judges, where really the idea is it's Yahweh versus all of these other gods, it's a really significant title. And what we're trying to, what the author of Judges is trying for you and me to see over and over again is choose Yahweh. Don't choose these other gods. Yahweh is good. Yahweh will want you to flourish. Yahweh is going to give you good things. All these other gods, they're going to take from you. They're going to dominate you. They're going to own you. If, you're, if the thing you worship, the thing you focus on, the thing that you desire more than anything in life becomes your idol, if it's not Jesus, it's going to dominate you. It's going to become your God. And so the story really is choose Yahweh. 
And so Gideon's name, he becomes known as the contender of Baal. His name is better for it. Everyone locally would be calling him Jerubbabel, but for you and I, we're going to continue to read him as him as Gideon. It's kind of like for me, Justin is like a super common name. Like, raise your hand if you know a Justin. Okay, right. Thanks, Dad. So that's my name. And so I wanted my name to be more than just Justin, and especially when I was in high school. You know, I wanted, like, something attached to it. So I took something I was passionate about. I had talents. I, I felt like I was able in it. I, I studied YouTube. I went and got lessons. I wanted to be, you know, like, Justin. Oh, what Justin? Oh, guitar Justin. You know, like, I wanted to be known for my guitar work. I was in bands. I was in competitions. I was taking music classes to make sure that I, that's who I was. You know, I wanted to be known by that. I wanted, to be, I wanted to kind of prove that I was something greater than just me. And we all do that, don't we? Like my grandpa used to always say, you know how important someone is. You want me to turn it? I'm really bad at this. There we go. My grandpa used to always say that you can always tell how important someone is and how much money they make by how many alphabet letters they have behind their name. You know what I mean? PhD, CPA, MBA, whatever it is. And people spend a lot of time and effort and money to get those things behind their name so that they'll be significant in their community, so that they'll have authority, so that they can, people will trust them, you know? And there's unofficial titles or official titles too. Like there's the president, the president of a company, CEO, CFO, administrator, Unofficial titles that we work for, too, to be the funny guy, to be the nice person. To, some people are known as the drunk person, and that's not so great. But like, there's titles that we earn in our community that make our name something, right? It gives you credibility. It gives you significance. And those titles are really important for who we are, for people to know who we are. And last week, last Sunday, there was this mom who came up to me. She goes, hey, I know you're busy. I got to tell you something real quick. And I go, yeah, yeah. And she says, my sister's coming into town. She has a son named Justin. And I told my son, hey, my, your auntie's coming to town, and she's bringing Justin for you to play with. And he goes, oh, we're going to sing songs, and we're going to talk about, we're going to play these games, we're going to talk about Jesus, it's going to be awesome. And the mom goes, oh, no, 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 not Justin from church, You're, little Justin, he's going to play with you. And this is what he said. He goes, oh, I thought you meant Jesus, Justin. Dude, I'm like, she told me that, and I'm just like, oh, like, that is so much better than guitar, Justin, you know? And it got me thinking, like, if there's a name that I want my kids, when they say, hey, what was your dad all about? I don't want them to talk about, oh, dad, my dad was really into cars, or the weekend, or fun, or, or playing fun games, or, or if my kids say, oh, my, my dad was all about Jesus, Dude, what a win. There's a, there's a man who today, his name is Tom Hunt. He goes here. And he was told he had two months to live because he had brain cancer. And because Tom Hunt is not going to obey a doctor, he lived for two more years. Right? And he faithfully followed Jesus. And here's the thing. As it, uh, that information got passed around the staff, the defining thing about him, the thing that made him significant, the thing that impacted this community... It wasn't the job he had or the, the talents, the abilities that he had. What was put in there was he raised up godly kids who raised up godly kids. Dude, that is what has impacted the community. That is what has done such 
good. And so we know that that's the important thing. We know that it's the important thing for me and my house to serve the Lord. I want to be known for following Jesus. If I could have a name, I would want it to be, dude, that guy contends with the enemy. That guy fights against the enemy. It reminds me of Acts chapter 19, where you have these, these sons of this priest, and they are watching Paul. Paul's walking around the community. He's seen the risen Jesus. Jesus has called him to mission to raise up churches. And as he's going around, he's healing people. He's doing miracles. He's doing what God tells him to do. And he's casting demons out of people. And these sons of this priest are watching that going, dude, I want to be able to do that. And so they watch how Paul does it. And Paul apparently says, like, by the name of Jesus, get out of there. And they leave. And so these priests, they go into this demon-possessed man's house, and they see him, and they're like, oh, man, we're ready. And they go, by the name of Jesus Christ, who Paul proclaims, you get out of there. And the demon-possessed man looks at him, and he says, oh, I know Jesus, and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? Then he beats him up. I'm not joking. This is in the Bible. Strips them naked. And then they run fleeing out of the house, bruised, beaten, bloody, naked. If you are ever in a fight and you leave that fight without your clothes, did you win? No way. These dudes get whooped. I wonder, do I live the kind of life? Do I treat my wife the way? Do I raise my kids up the way? Do I run my business the way where the enemy has heard about my name? Would they say, oh, I've heard about Mark. I've heard about Dick Worthington. Oh, I've heard about Matt Heverly. That guy's a pain in my side. Like, do we live the kind of life where the enemy has heard our name? Are we contending with the enemy? Because Ephesians 6, chapter 2 says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Like, there's people that, that irritate us and do things the wrong way and seem to push the enemy's agenda forward really, really hard. Like it's all their focus, all their energy is spent on doing that thing. But Jesus wants to remind you and me that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I think so often we forget that. I think so often we forget that our enemies are actually demonic. And instead what we do is we demonize our enemies, don't we? Where if there's people that are pushing an agenda opposite of us, we'll demonize them. We'll be like, they're the problem. And we'll forget that Jesus also gave his life for that person. And we forget that there's a demonic force. We forget that there's this whole realm pushing evil and darkness. And that's what Judges is really about, is there are other powers. And are you going to choose the one who's going to give you life and flourishing, or are you going to not? And one of them is going to give you life. One of them is going to take from you. And man, I tell you what, there are altars in our community. Like what Gideon tore down that caused problems for people. There are things in our community that you just cannot touch, that you cannot talk about. Otherwise, you will get your Facebook blown up. People write you letters to your home. People show up at your home. Man, you can't talk out about homosexuality. You can't talk about gender issues. You can't talk about abortion. There are altars in our community that have been raised up that's like, oh man, don't touch that. It's not, don't do it. The community's gonna show up. They're gonna show up at your dad's. It's gonna be a problem for you. God, though, Jesus wants to raise up a group of people who want more than just Sunday and Wednesday. If you wanna be someone who contends against the enemy, 
It's not just showing up on Wednesday. It's not just showing up on Sunday and taking in a bunch of information. It's now going out and saying, okay, Jesus, I want to tear down altars. I want to contend against the enemy. I want to be known. I want to be, I want to have Jesus in front of my name. When people talk about me, they'll go, oh, that's Jesus, Mark. Like, oh man, that, that's Jesus, Cindy. Like they just put Jesus in front of your name. That's fighting for what is right. And so to become a, a contender of the enemy, I think it takes obedience. It takes obedience at home, and it can, takes obedience in our community, but there's really big obstacles to that, I think, to being obedient to God, tearing down altars at home. One of them, I, I think, is some of us have built those altars in, in our home, where we've introduced things in our home that shouldn't be there, whether it be porn or greed or violence or anger, sexual sin, whatever. We bring it into our home, and then we think, well, God... God can't use me because I've messed up. I brought addiction into my house. I've, I've got this track record. There's no way that God could ever want me. Here's what's so rad about this chapter we're gonna go through. It's gonna illustrate not Gideon's heroism, not everything that makes Gideon the right guy. It's gonna really illustrate the weakness of, what, of God's people. The people that God wants to choose are not and work through and use aren't heroes aren't the self-assured, the confident, those who went to the, get the right schooling, have the right equipment. Instead, it's the people who just say, okay, God, I want you to use me. I want to serve you. Those are the people that God uses. I mean, even look at verse two. This is really the verse that kind of just highlights and leads the theme of the rest of the chapter right here. Yahweh said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. To give you an idea, Gideon's raised up a small army to go and face Midianites, to go and face this nation that has a large army. Like, so many that the Bible will later tell us, it's like looking at locusts. There's so many people gathered to fight. And God looks at the group that Gideon assembled and said, nah, you gotta be weaker. You know, there's way too many of you you look too strong. I don't want you to leave this battle saying, oh yeah, it's because we, we figured it out. Man, we worked it out. We got a good plan. We acted. It was because of me and my heroism and my leadership ability. God goes, no, nah, that's too many. Let's, let's tone it down. Let's send some people home. So here's what happens. Verse three. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And Yahweh said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and Yahweh said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as the dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of people, the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And Yahweh said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go every man to his home. 
So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So God looks at these men, it's 32,000 men, and God goes, ah, Gideon, you know, I just don't like those numbers. And Gideon's like, yeah, me neither. Okay, let's get some heavenly host in here. You know, maybe there's uh, a million other army people you could call from somewhere. I don't know. Like, hey, let's, let's reanimate dead bones, God. Do whatever you got to do. And God goes, no, actually, I want anyone who's afraid to leave. Just go ahead and take off. And Gideon's like, that's not really what I was thinking. <laughs> but okay. So Gideon tells him that. And just imagine that. There's a thousand chairs in this room. Multiply that by 22 get up and walk away scared. Do you know how long that would take and how awkward and hard that is? People saying, hey man, this doesn't, this isn't gonna make any sense. Hey, we're not gonna win, come home with me. Dude, I can't tell your wife that you didn't make it and I went home without you. Like there's this pressure, there's this social pressure. Everyone is leaving and abandoning the cause saying, dude, there's, there's no way. Come on, let's knock this off. The time it would take for them to get up and go, it would be, would be a while. And could you imagine the social pressure? Everyone's doing this. Everyone is saying this. Come on, we got to go. Man, just because everyone has agreed that this is the way we do something, that doesn't mean it's right. Just because there's a large number of people, a very vocal people, a very active people that say this is right, this is wrong, this is how we do things, doesn't mean that's what the way that God wants things to be done. 10,000 say, I'll stay, I know what's right, I'll contend with the enemy. But of those 10,000, God goes, that's still too many. Gideon's like, no, (laughs) I don't don't think so, no, it's still too many. So here's what I want you to do, go down to the river and have them drink. And the way they drink is going to tell you which one I want. And it's funny, like, I think a lot of people who study and teach the Bible and even write books they forget verse two, that God was like, hey, I don't want you to have the strongest people. Because then you'll think, well, it was because of your leadership or your cunning or, or whatever you've done that saved you. They'll teach it as there was 300 men who were military style men. They got down on one knee and they kept their eyes on the horizon. And so they drank like this so that they could see. That doesn't make any sense with verse two or with what God is doing, saying, no, I this is too many. I don't want you to say that you did it yourself. Here's what John Corson said years ago that always stuck with me. And I think it's true. I think it was the old men. I think it was men who walked up to the river and they were like, I can't bend down to that. And they go, okay, I'm not getting the other one down. And then doing that. And Hey, when you're done, you have to pick me up. Like it's the people whose bones hurt. It's the people who can't move. They're doing the shuffle to get up the mountain. Like it's those people that God says, that's my crew. And Gideon's looking at them like, they can't fight. Like this, I don't know, God. This, this seems like really, really not the right people. And here's what I think is so characteristic of God's people that contend with the enemy. They're weak people. They acknowledge their weakness. They acknowledge that if they go into battle, if they contend with the enemy, it's not because of anything they've done or any training they've been a part of. 
that it will all be due to God's strength and God's mercy and relying upon the Lord. The people who can't fight, they can't bend down, they're weak, they're old men, they recognize their weakness. And so they're going into battle going, man, I'm going to trust that God's going to do something today. Because if he doesn't, we are in trouble. And so now it's the night before the battle. It's the calm before the storm. There's 300 men. And just over the ridge is all of the Midianites. Verses 9 through 12 give us a really vivid picture. That same night, Yahweh said to Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. The Bible takes care to draw a picture for you and I of just how impossible this is. Just innumerable. Their resources, their tents, the number of them, their fighting ability, their training, everything. These are the guys. How are 300 men going to, 300 weak men going to contend against them? They're not. They're not going to stand a chance. And it seems to me that we kind of have that same view. Like, how does God's people stand up for what is right when it seems like the enemy has such innumerable resources and innumerable voices. And there's so many people who stand in opposition to what I know is right and what I should do and the altars I should tear down. It seems like there's just too many of them. It seems like a a can of worms I don't want to get into. The Bible's trying to paint that picture for you because it's not about you. It's about whose team you're on. So I'm going to shamelessly steal this illustration from James last week because I have a humiliating personal story that I'd like to tell you that ties in with it really well. All right, so when I was in high school, I went to Hinn Valley High School. Somehow, I got out of ever having a PE course, right? I was not interested in being sports Justin or athletic Justin or football Justin. I was guitar Justin. That was it, all right? So in order for me to graduate, I had to have a PE course, but it's my senior year. And seniors, there was a class that was only available to them. And so it was the only one that was open for me. And it was senior uh, basketball. You know, I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do basketball. Do you know who the only people that sign up as seniors to the basketball course is the basketball class? It's the varsity basketball team. Okay. So it's the varsity basketball team in Justin. All right. Yeah, so that's how the whole term went. So I was just kind of running that way, and I'd run that way. They're playing their game, and they're having fun. They're really good. I mean, obviously. And there was one time where Greg, he was a buddy of mine, big guy, he passes me the ball. And everybody on the court stopped. And I was like, do you want it back? And he was like, the, the guy on the, ed, the, the opposite team, they just split up, was like, no, shoot it. And I was like, okay. Dude, I don't know how to shoot a basketball. So I shoot it, you know? I just wing that thing. And so at Hidden Valley, the way it's set up is there's, the backboard is held up by chains that are against the wall. I threw that basketball right in between those chains, right behind the the backboard. And all of the varsity team 
for the next, for the end of class period, basically, put their hands straight up in the air yelling, it's good, running around. Like, yeah, don't, don't give me the basketball ever, ever again. But here's the thing. If it was the entire Hidden Valley senior varsity basketball team versus Justin plus Michael Jordan in his prime or versus Shaquille O'Neal, dude, it doesn't matter who's over there or how many of them there are. I'm going to win because I'm on this guy's team, right? Like as long as I just obey him and go where he wants and does what he says, we're going to win. No problem. Despite all my weakness, my inability, my, my lack of knowledge, my lack of understanding, despite being non-athletic at all, if I just trust the one on my team, man, we're going to be victorious. It's not about me. Jesus would even say, with man, this thing you're doing, oh, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This image right here is to show you, yeah, you can't. But with God, if God's telling you to, oh, you can. Because you're on the right team. He's got it. It doesn't matter who's against you. It matters who's with you. Verse 13 goes into the dream account. What Gideon hears down in the valley that strengthens him. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon. The son of Joash, a man of Israel, God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. I've personally never had a nightmare that involves cake, but I'm not on Weight Watchers yet, so maybe that happens more as you get older. I don't know. But they have this dream. There's this loaf of bread comes coming down the hill, and it knocks over the tent. And the, the people, they start freaking out. They're like, that's Gideon. That's Gideon. It's the person you don't expect. He's going to come and upset everything because his God has given us into his hand. We're done. You know, Psalm 103, 14 says this, that God knows your frame. He knows what you're built of. He knows your anxiety. He knows your worries. He knows who you are, how you're made. Notice that God does not, when Gideon's afraid to go down with his 300 weak men, he doesn't say, are you kidding me? You're not just going to obey. He doesn't mock Gideon. He doesn't put him down. Instead, he encourages him in his weakness. And he says, okay, go down. I know, I know what you're made of, Gideon. I know your frame. I formed you. I know who you are. Go down there. I'll encourage you. I'll lift you up. Our God knows our frame. He knows our weaknesses. He knows the things that makes us anxious. And he wants to encourage you and me in it. Our God doesn't shame us for the things that we've done, the things that we feel are fear even, God wants us to just seek him. Be encouraged. Know that God is in control, that if God has even given us his own son, he's not gonna withhold any good thing from you, that God is working all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And if you say, well, I love God. Okay, God, I wanna be called into your purpose. God knows your frame. He'll lift you up. He'll encourage you, even in your weakness. And we can sometimes dupe ourselves into thinking that God can only use a certain kind of person with a certain kind of background, 
whose Facebook is totally squeaky clean, you know, who doesn't have a criminal record, who never struggled with addiction, who's never said or done anything wrong. It's funny, like in this last political season, any person that was on the news, they would dig up any soundbite, any Facebook post, anything on Twitter to just destroy this person's character for everyone else. And we think, oh man, I had MySpace when I was in middle school. There's stuff on there I don't want coming out. So I'm not going to go and do what's right because they're going to find that stuff. No, God knows your frame. God strengthens the hands of those who are weak and he strengthens them and raises them up so they can be brave in battle and fight for him. It's the thing in Hebrews when we were studying through that chapter 11 that really stood out to me. The people that God wants to use. Every single one of those people is like, that's the wrong dude. That person had tons of struggles. That person made huge mistakes. That person did the wrong thing, but they faithfully said, okay, God, I want to serve you. They weren't heroes. They were servants. That's who God wants to use. Man, weakness, all of it. God wants people who say, okay, God, I'm in. And the weaker you are, the better, because you know I'm only going to be able to face this by God's strength, by God's power, by God's mercy. God, help me face enemies. Help me contend with them. Help me to be brave in war and in battle. And so this 300 people, it's not a sign of Israel's strength. It's a total sign of their weakness. This is not like the movie 300, where it's a bunch of Spartans that are just ripped beyond CGI, you know? Like, these are the weakest dudes about to go in to battle. And here's the battle account. These utter... Utterly helpless people. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for Yahweh has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for Yahweh and for Gideon. Get this, 300 men are going down to battle with a torch covered in a jar and a trumpet. Where's the sword? Where's the bows and arrows? These can't kill no one. Like Gideon, this is a bad idea. Like it just, it's the whole thing is to show you if you try to do it in your own power, it's not gonna work. You gotta trust God. You have to trust in his mercy. You have to trust in his power to see you through to overcome the enemy. And that's what these 300 men do. The plan doesn't make sense. But they go, okay, God, I'm in. I wanna contend with the enemy. And so verse 19, so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hand the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for Yahweh and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, Yahweh set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah toward Zerah. 
as far as the border of Abel, Mahola, and Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. So here's what happens. These men, they have their torches under clay pots. They've got their trumpets. They set themselves along the hill. It's the middle of the night. And they break open their clay pots. 300 clay pots breaking, just all over the valley. Anyone who looks outside their tent just sees all these torches all around them on the hillside. It could look like a huge army. And then they hear this giant shout, a sword for Yahweh and for Gideon. And the people panic. And they start running around. And when the trumpets sound, the panic sets in so much that the Bible says Yahweh turned their swords against each other. God had the enemy fight themselves. They took themselves out. In their panic and in their, their, their freaking out, Gideon and his crew is up there watching going, I didn't, that's weird. I didn't see that coming. Just out there beating each other up, attacking. They're killing themselves. All God's people had to do was pursue. God did the war. God did the battle. All God's people had to do was walk after, push back darkness, say, I'm coming, get in the game. For them to contend, it was just they were to pursue, to move in. And so this thing that's in the chapter that really, for me, it reminds me of so much is this idea that salvation, we like to think that these stories, God's salvation is offered despite our weakness, But I think instead, what God shows us is salvation. He gives it through weakness. You know, like it reminds me of another Old Testament story of David and Goliath, where you've got two armies, the Israelites and the Philistines. And this Philistine champion comes out. His name is Goliath. He's so big that his jacket, the Bible says, weighs 200 pounds. Just a massive dude, a giant. And Gideon is the only Israelite who says, I'll fight that guy. And so he goes out. He's literally a boy. And he comes out with a shepherd's staff. And he comes with five rocks in his pocket and a slingshot. And Goliath sees the weakness of this boy. He says, you send out a champion, Israelite. If your champion can kill me, all of my people, all my family, all of this will be your servants. But if I kill your champion, you will be our servants. And we will own you. We will oppress you. You will be ours. And the Israelites send out a child with a stick. And so Goliath, in rage, says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And it's in his anger and it's in his frustration and it's in his just wrath that he runs at David with his sword up going to kill him. And here's the thing. The Bible takes note that Goliath had a shield bearer. The dude had a shield, but he's so frustrated He's so upset. This weakness of this boy is so offensive to him that he goes in with his shield down. David knocks him in the head and cuts his head off. 
That's not a story, though I like to teach it that way to kids, of, hey, the bigger your problems are, if you just bring God into it, the harder they're going to fall. That's not the story. The story is God, through weakness, delivered people. God, through the weakness of people who got in, delivered people. In that story, you and me, man, we're the Israelites. We're not David. David is Jesus, that there's an enemy that you and I could not overcome. There's the Midianites that cannot be overcome. There's just too many. It's too much. It's impossible. There's no way. But Jesus wins the battle. And because of that, you and I get the victory because it's not who we're against. It's whose team we're on. And now our God has asked us, will we be obedient to him starting first in our home? Will you tear down the altars at your home? Are you going to be someone who's going to contend with the enemy? Start at home, and then God wants to use you in the community. God wants to do amazing things in yours and my life. He doesn't want people who just do Sunday, Wednesday, show up and leave, and it doesn't change the way they talk to their kids. It doesn't change the way they don't talk to their wives or run their business. God wants people who are, okay, I want to be, my name contends with the enemy. I want to be Jesus Justin. I want to be Jesus Mark. I want to be Jesus Brad. I want to be someone who's known for, I fight against pushing back darkness. God has already won the victory. I'm in. I'm all in, God. Whatever you've called me to do. People in my community might be upset with me for it. People might grind their teeth against me. They're going to say, that's foolish. That's stupid. Hey, don't do it. The enemies are too large. Don't, you can't go into battle with that. And you say, nope, I'm contending with the enemy. I'm in. I, I believe we could all be people that the enemy gnashes his teeth against going, those people frustrate me. They enrage me because their weakness and God confounds the strong with the weakness of the people who choose to serve him. Let's be contenders of the enemy this week, amen? So Jesus, thank you so much for the life that you have given to us. You say that you can do exceedingly, abundantly above anything we could ever ask or think. And so help us to have that mindset as we leave here that you want to tear down altars in our community. You want to move. You want to change lives. You want to change the trajectory of children and of marriages and of our community and of our schools and of our workplaces. And Jesus, I pray that we would act in faith and that we would follow you. That, Lord, we would acknowledge all of our weakness. That, God, you haven't called me because of anything that I've done right or any of my abilities or my talents or my skills. God, you've called me because I'm exceedingly weak and in my weakness, I trust that you will deliver. I trust that you will use it for your glory. I trust that you will magnify yourself and make yourself strong. And so Jesus, do something amazing this week. We pray that we would see it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.